0: Welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers, and moves in livestock, grain, and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning into episode 201. Today we're speaking with Dr. Ross Ainsworth. And for those that don't recognise the name, Ross has a 40 year history as a large animal vet in Australia, mainly in the Northern Territory, working in the live animal export business. He was also heavily involved in the re-establishment of the trade after it stopped in 2011 and in the SGAS program. And today he is calling in from Bali, where he's based, to share an update on the foot and mouth disease outbreak in Indonesia, discuss some of the risks and challenges with both FMD and lumpy skin disease, and the demand outlook for Australia's live cattle trade with Indonesia. Before we get into it, a few highlights from commodity markets this week. In the USDA released their WASD the report earlier this week. Wheat stocks and production numbers were pretty within expectations. If anything, a little higher. Russian production has officially been beefed up to 91 million metric tons, which weighed on the market. Geopolitics has also been center stage, with uncertainty over the grain export corridors' ongoing success and progress by Ukraine's military, which all have the potential to shape the wheat market in the weeks and months ahead. For the wool market, there were some big falls for finer wool types again this week, while the medium wools remained fairly stable. Demand is being weakened by economic and geopolitical prices in the major economies, and as demand shrinks, the most vulnerable wool prices are fine merinos, where the premium's been at very high levels. I'll leave it there for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode.
1: Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleaver's Organic Meats. All Cleavers products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms, where animals are raised in free-range environments, are grass-fed from start to finish, and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef, and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au.
0: It's my pleasure to have Dr. Ross Ainsworth on the podcast today to share his insight into the foot and mouth disease and lumpy skin disease outbreaks that are in our neighbouring countries and a bit about our live cattle export market. So welcome to Commodity Conversations, Ross.
1: Good to be with you, Olivia.
0: So it was back in May where the outbreak of FMD really started in Indonesia, and I know, Ross, that you stay very well connected to the situation on the ground over there being based in Bali. So can you share what the status is now with the outbreak and where we're sort of at with the management of it?
1: Uh, well, uh, the, main, the main sort of thing to say is that initially it was a, uh, a pretty confused and messy uh, response. No one seemed to know just how to handle it. It happened at a very bad time when there was a major religious festival where they slaughter lots of uh, cattle and sheep and goats. So there was a lot of animals being transferred around at a time when that's the last thing you'd want to be happening. There was no vaccine. It took quite a long time for the vaccine to arrive. And the government is not well resourced. So it took them quite a while to, to get a grip on things. So after about three months probably about the start of this month, they finally seem to have got their act together. They've, they have sufficient volumes of vaccine. They appear to be reasonably well-resourced to get out there and deliver the vaccine. And probably more importantly for the Australian situation, uh, barley seems to be getting particularly high level of focus, and that's good for us because the more animals are vaccinated here, the better, and the less chance that uh, the disease will be transmitted uh, by back to Australia by tourists returning home. So Bali has had about two, I just looked before, 230-odd thousand vaccinations. And uh, that's about a third of the uh, the herd, perhaps. And the, the vaccination process is going very quickly here, probably more quickly, it would appear, than any other province in Indonesia. And so that's pretty encouraging. And, of course, in the Australian end, the Australian government, I thought, was a bit, It's slow off the mark, and uh, but now they've ramped up biosecurity at the airports and other entry points. So I'm much more confident about the uh, biosecurity in Australia preventing it getting out and the vaccine program here preventing it leaving. So it's a much better risk situation, a much lower risk situation here than it was two months ago.
0: I think that's really encouraging in a few of those statistics there, Ross, that the risk of transmission does seem like it's decreasing. Do you think there are many challenges out there to sort of get us to the next level or are we on the right path forward to really, really reducing the risk down of it transmitting to Australia?
1: Uh, well we we can't probably can't go a lot faster than we can. It all it all revolves from my perspective. Now that the biosecurity is right in Australia, the main thing is to get these animals, especially in Bali, fully vaccinated. So the the statistic, which is a bit rubbery, but the best we've got is there's about 600,000 cows here. So they need to be vaccinated twice, 21 days apart. So that's a one point. 2 million and we're 230,000 doses. So it's a fair way to go. Um, they need a lot of equipment. Uh, they only use single dose syringes uh, and, and they need to be thrown away. And, and the average farmer's only got two cows. So there's an awful lot of uh, equipment required and manpower required to get around and do so many animals in so many different locations. So that's the challenge, but it would appear as though Bali is better resourced than elsewhere. The other thing that's happening is that there's a a G20 international meeting here in uh, November. So the Balinese government, the federal government, is very keen to firstly prevent any suggestion that uh, tourists shouldn't come here because of uh, potential disease spread. And also, they'd like to put on as good a face as possible once the international community arrives here in, in November and be able to say that the disease is under control. So, I'm guessing that they're prioritizing their resources here. That's the way it looks on the statistics because the Bali statistics are way ahead of most other provinces. And if anything, getting further out in the lead. So, generally, it's a pretty good situation, but we've still got a long way to go 230 odd thousand and at and, at least 1.2 million, just to get to two doses for each animal, It's still a long way. Then there's about uh, the guess figure is six or seven hundred thousand pigs. They need to be uh, vaccinated the same, and fifty odd thousand goats. So there's still plenty of golf left in it yet.
0: absolutely and of course there's the other biosecurity threat of lumpy skin disease which i understand that has a higher probability of an outbreak being transmitted in australia to fmd is that right
1: Uh, that's my point of view anyway when foot and mouth arrived here and there was no vaccine and and the same old biosecurity in australia my gut feeling was that the the risk to australia of getting it getting the disease from Bali was something like 50-50. Not many people agreed with that, but I'm in the the main tourist suburb of Seminyak, right in the middle of it. And there's 100 cows within 300 metres of where I'm sitting right now. So it's very easy to interact with cows in this environment. So now that the the vaccine, uh, and certainly all of the cows around me have been vaccinated, some of them twice, so that, that risk has, has receded dramatically and with all the other factors in place, uh, I'm, I'm uh, much more comfortable that we're in, a, in a, a better place because we can vaccinate and we can appropriately structure the biosecurity to keep it out. And we have been able to keep our foot and mouth from other countries in Asia, but, but lumpy skin disease is transmitted by insects. And... Uh, Unless someone's got something new in the last few days, we can't keep insects out of Australia. And so I think the risk of lumpy skin coming to Australia is is 100%. So if it can't fly across, if the wind can't blow the the infected insects across by the time it gets to Timor, which is about 600 k's to get to Darwin, then all it's got to do, we have to wait until the virus... Travels through eastwards through Indonesia into New Guinea, and then it's a very simple matter for it to come across the, uh, the Torres Strait, uh, which is a very short distance and would we'll definitely be able to bring in to, uh, insects that uh, fly across there. I think lumpy skin is coming, and hopefully, we can keep foot and mouth out.
0: And in terms of spread of lumpy skin, how quickly does it move? from cattle to cattle, property to property?
1: We, we don't have enough information on that, but what it appears, it appears as though it will spread reasonably quickly in a, in a small area because the insects simply fly around. But in terms of major spread, that would appear to, to depend on the prevailing winds. And we do know that it arrived in... Uh, North Vietnam uh, in October 20, I think it was. But essentially it took two years to get from North Vietnam to Malaysia and then across the Malacca Straits into Sumatra. And that's about the same distance from there to the eastern islands of Indonesia, around Timor. Mm-hmm. So maybe the wind is the determining factor then it might take another two years for it to get from where it is now in in North Sumatra to Timor at a a location which uh, could threaten Northern Australia. That's just my gut feeling. There's not a lot of information on this disease. There hadn't been a lot of study in it because it's largely been in third world countries. It started in Africa. It ended up uh, moving out into the middle east then it went round through central asia it maybe russia and then came in through china and then down from china into north vietnam and then right down through asia uh, southeast asia in only two years so none of those countries have livestock export industries and so they just vaccinated and and they controlled it and so it's a more important disease for countries that export livestock because it restricts your trade Uh, certainly has impacts on your animals but it also restricts trade so it's effectively a double hit for australia
0: which i do want to talk a bit about that ross we know indonesia is a very important market for australia's live cattle and there have been some clear challenges there but what factors do you think have been impacting the live cattle trade over the last few months?
1: Well, the two, two big factors, price, the cattle price in Australia has been high for quite a while, as you know, and so that has given the feedlot industry quite a, uh, quite a lot of trouble. So they're, they're having great difficulty making a profit at the rate that they have to buy Australian cattle. They also have some issues with their feed prices going up too, so that's, that's also a pain for them. But the other thing, of course, since both diseases arrived, if you, if you buy a, a boatload of cattle, say 3,000 head, what's a feeder? 300 kilogram and he's worth uh, five bucks on arrival, 1,500. So four to $5 million worth in one ship. Now, when you get that shipment in your feedlot, if you're at risk of catching foot and mouth disease and lumpy skin disease... Then that, that investment is at risk. So, for all of those reasons, the numbers uh, exported to Indonesia have gone from what used to be probably about 40,000 a month down to, I think, last month was about 20,000. And that's about as low as it's been for a very long time. So, big impact on the market. Now that the vaccine is here, things are likely to change quite a bit. So the price in Australia is still reasonably high, but not, not as extreme as a few months ago. But now they can vaccinate those animals immediately on arrival in the feedlot because they've got plenty of vaccine in the fridge now. Plus the other thing that's happened, there's been a lot of fat cattle in the, in the Indonesian domestic trade have died or been emergency slaughtered because they had foot and mouth or, or lumpy skin. So there's going to be a deficit in the local market. I can't say how much, but it, I'm sure it's significant. So not only will there be a shortage of stock of fat animals and, and uh, slaughter animals, because our numbers have been slowing down, our, our import numbers have been slowing, but the a lot of animals have disappeared from the local market out of their normal time. And so there's uh, there's on the one hand a supply shock and on the other hand, the demand is a little weak at the moment because we think that the, the public here is a little bit nervous still that there is some danger in eating uh, meat from potentially infected animals. And so there's some resistance for with consumers uh, right now, but I don't think that'll last for too long once they realise it's not dangerous. So supplies are down, inventories are down. And so I think that there'll be quite strong demand for Australian feeders, but uh, the only thing that'll hold that up is, is the price. And your guess on uh, what the price will be is good as uh, anyone's.
0: Yeah, and it's really good to hear that positive demand story coming through there. But the other side of it is whether we've got the cattle to supply. It as current forecasts for a pretty wet season ahead, and whether there'll be enough to build boatloads and keep that constant supply going through.
1: Yeah, well, the ter- Queensland's probably got a, a better situation than the Northern Territory. The Northern Territory had, had a rather disappointing wet season last year, and then there was some unseasonal rain in middle of the year around July, which killed off a lot of grass. So the, the, the numbers available in the Territory aren't quite back to where they, uh, everyone would like them to be. So there's still a bit of herd regrowth to happen, uh, especially in the Territory, uh, but elsewhere as well. So we're not fully ready to, uh, to supply exactly what they need, or if we are, then the price will have to go up and that'll probably cause them to, uh, to slow down again.
0: Yeah, and look, we've we've spoken about you know the lessening risk factors due to the um, the vaccination over in Indonesia. We know that our biosecurity measures have been improved, and we've sort of gone here from uh, that initial alarmism and that real fear of FMD knocking right on our doorstep. And as time sort of rolled on, and there's been more information that's become available, the message as more about staying alert rather than being alarmed but what can our producers be doing on farm to make sure they're treating biosecurity as best they can what sort of simple processes can they put in place to make sure they're ready
1: yeah look I'm I'm sure that they've all been been told or been advised that they should, they should be very careful about who they let on their property, and do do a bit of uh, research on on any visitors you have. People from the farm or the, the station have have been uh, overseas, particularly in Indonesia. Then just the logical, sensible things that uh, make sure people have had a uh, plenty of time, at least a week in in somewhere else after they've got back from Indonesia, before they might come to the farm, and then and then. Uh, Make sure that they've changed their gear and cleaned their shoes and all all of all the usual things. But uh, put a lock on the front gate and a sign on it saying "ring me before you you want it when you want to come in," and then we'll work it out uh, once you once you let me know. It's it's really that that serious, and uh, yeah, every it's everyone's got to do their part from the tourists coming home, uh, the people in the airport, biosecurity and international airports. Just the general public's got to think about it. Everybody in in the whole of Australia needs to be aware that this is an absolutely devastating disease and do the best they can to, to make sure they don't present any risk to spreading it into Australia.
0: Although there was a lot of alarm earlier in the year, to take a good thing away from it is that people are certainly aware of the issue and some of the measures they can take to reduce the likelihood of it coming to Australia so I think that's one positive to take away from the situation.
1: Yes, certainly uh, the alarm was uh, very much justified but I think that that has now driven some serious uh, rethink by by most uh, most farmers and pastoralists to make sure that they don't put themselves at risk. Just on I just read something this morning um, which uh, I, uh, gave me some uh, encouragement, was that there would appear to be um, developing a, a new vaccine which covers both foot and mouth and, and lumpy skin disease through universities in Queensland, I think. But it's been, it's been given some funding, and that is uh, extremely welcome to hear that. I think lumpy, lumpy skin... Will be an, a much more dangerous disease than what you read in the textbook. So, if you read the literature, it says you know the animal gets lumps on its skin. There's a few internal lesions, but uh, the death rate's quite small. And you know some some basic uh, simple treatments, and the animal recovers. But as I said before, all of these all of the disease has always been in uh, primarily third world countries. And in all of those countries, cows are very valuable and essentially they live in the backyard. They might go grazing, but they're all carefully managed individually. And so if an animal gets this lumpy skin disease, it's a simple matter if you if in the shed in the backyard, then you give it some, some topical treatment, keep the flies off it and uh, feed it well, and look after it and it recovers. But if you've seen the photographs of these animals with lesions all over their bodies, and imagine that animal uh, in North Australia during in the middle of a wet season, Mm -hmm. then imagine it's a cow and a calf, and the calf's got it too, and the mother's got it on its udder, and the flies tearing at the bits. Uh, I think the mortality rate in the northern part of Australia, where animals can't get individual care, could possibly be enormous. So it's a very different situation than the rest of the world where animals are able to be given the appropriate care as required. So I think it's going to be a very, very different scenario if and when it gets to Australia. That's, that really worries me. If they don't have a good vaccine, then we're in real trouble.
0: Well, let's hope that Queensland University project that you're talking about really gets some pace behind it.
1: Absolutely, and it, there are other issues too. It's uh, the current vaccine for for lumpy skin is a live vaccine, so you have to br- virtually bring the virus to Australia. So that automatically presents you issues with uh, trade embargoes because you know if countries that don't have the disease, where plenty of them do, it's probably not going to be an issue with our, with beef going to Indonesia, places like Japan. Uh, South Korea, uh, US, very big markets. Uh, They may not, there may be issues with with taking our beef if we use live vaccine. So it's a very complicated situation and we won't really know until the crunch comes. But uh, there's certainly a, a potential that those some of our very important markets will resist taking our meat if we're using live vaccine. So we really, really need a better and non-live vaccine, especially for lumpy skin disease.
0: Yeah, I think we can, we don't want to get to the stage where it's affecting our trade and market access. So we'll hope that, or in the first case, that it doesn't get here. In the second, that we have the right response that reduces our impact on markets and and our meat trade.
1: Yeah, I understand the government's already having discussions with uh, the potential countries that may be an issue Uh, So they're trying to sort of get ahead of the game. If and when it does come, uh, they'll be prepared and know which way our various uh, customers will jump. But uh, there's no doubt a lot more negotiation to go before uh, Australian industry would be comfortable with, with whatever restrictions might come in.
0: Well, Ross, we really appreciate you giving your insight into the disease outbreak and the risk to Australia. So really appreciate it. And thanks for coming on Commodity Conversations.
1: All right. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Olivia. Happy to do it again sometime.
0: Yeah, we'd love that. Thanks, Ross. Thank you for listening in to another episode of Commodity Conversations. Please, if you have any colleagues, friends, family that might find this podcast useful, please share it around. It is the most COVID-friendly sharing that you can do at the moment. Or if you have a few minutes, leave us a review or rating on your podcast app, which will help others to find it. Take care, and we'll be back next week.